sit down and buckle up. It's time for the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome to the Pirate Monk Podcast. We are glad you are here with us. Nate is still away on his cruise in Alaska. So we've got Rob Chenoweth here again for a second day in a row. Awesome. I'm glad to be with you, Aaron. I always enjoy spending time with you, either on a podcast or otherwise. Well, I'm glad to have you here. How are you doing? Good. Uh, it was a good, good day, good interview. I think folks will be really interested in listening to what Kerbins has to offer. But here's, what, here's my level. Uh, here's a story and my level of curiosity with you in particular. Okay. So you covered this a little bit on a podcast, on a prior podcast, but I want to dive in a little bit. I almost gave myself a 50th birthday present back in March with you involved. Would you like to, would you like to? Okay. I'm very curious now (laughs) because I don't jump out of cakes anymore. (laughs) I, uh, on, on March 18th was my birthday and I almost gave myself the gift of, of uh soul what am i thinking soul architecture your soul architecture workshop which was that weekend like i was like should i give myself this gift and then i thought to myself i didn't reach out to you by the way and there wasn't a lot of detail in the promo but i thought to myself that sounds like a whole damn lot of work and I, (laughs) (laughs) i don't know if that's a gift for my birthday uh so I, I what I heard you describe on a podcast with me, you you had since updated that you basically took six months worth of you know work and material, crammed it into three days. So my 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 intuition was correct that it would have been a lot of work. But but what did I what did I miss out on? And if I if you offer it again, what what should I look forward to? Yeah. Uh the the first part of soul architecture is Okay, soul architecture gets broken down into three areas. The first part is our gospel vocabulary, where I start trying to root out uh, words and ideas and thoughts that are not simply the person and work of Jesus Christ is enough so that I am now perfectly beloved of the Father. Okay. I'm holy because he's holy. Yes. Uh, he became sin for me so that I might become the righteousness of God in him. So I, I don't, uh, there are so many churchianity bits that are like, Jesus, plus I need to make sure that I'm doing X, Y, and Z. And X, Y, and Z might be great. A daily Bible study time. Fantastic. Do it. But it's not Jesus plus that. My relationship, my standing with my daddy is completely finished Mm. in Jesus. Love that. And so the first part is just exploring, okay, what does that mean? And what are the areas that I don't believe that? What are the areas that I still, when I struggle, I try to take control of the process. And what I'm not saying is because I don't believe that Jesus or his blood is enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, And I need to be honest with myself about that. I can relate. I can relate a lot to that. So once that happens, then we we do our our perfect father work, where we start to unpack how we see God as father, and mm-hmm. the reality is that for 
all of the people, whether it's in big groups or just one-on-one work, I've never met anybody who didn't have a warped view of God. And usually, you know, God really wants me to be working hard for his kingdom, God's kingdom, got to get involved, got to volunteer, got to be in a ministry, all those things. So, A, that makes God a workaholic who just wants all his kids to be working in his business. (laughs) In his business, yeah. Yeah, he's he's got the family business going, and damn it, you got to, you're slacking. (laughs) You're never showing up for work on time. (laughs) So, that's not a good father. That's That's an asshole father. Yeah. But then most people, this is not everybody, but most people feel a perpetual disappointment from God that they're really not measuring up. That he's yeah. always just tolerating them. Yeah. And worse than that, he's often angry with them. So he's he's a workaholic, he's a rageaholic. When when we start unpacking human terms, f- human father to child terms yeah. for h- how we feel God feels about us, yes. he's not a good father. He's a horrible father. Is that is that because and, and I don't remember the, the author's name, so I'm not going to be able to attribute this quote. But um, one of I, the, ju- I just read Stephen King, so I won't know. But go ahead. <laughs> no, the, the, the one author I'm thinking about said it took him 50 years to wipe the face of his father off of God's face, and I'm, I'm butchering his quote. But it, essentially, that's what part two is about, p- partially about, right? I mean, we don't we all. Well, I will say this. For me, I think I had pushed my face of the face of my father onto the face of God. Yeah. I, I think d- different people do that in different ways. Okay. Um, I, I, I never particularly felt that. Um, but certainly a lot of people do. Okay. Okay. Uh, I, I think what is more common that even when we push the face of our father onto God, it still goes back to that fantastic quote from Voltaire uh, that God created man in his image and then man returned the favor. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And so I think that's more my tendency. And even when people connect it to the father thing, it is still putting our human experiences and how I react to things. If I would get frustrated if someone did this, then I must believe God has that same response. Well, I'm just recreating them in my image. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, Part two is we we take that time to to get very specific about what each of us believe and what we've come to, and that is is you know your story with how you saw God as Father would be different than mine, yeah, for lots of different reasons. And so we do that. Um, we then do some basic enneagram work. Um, the The purpose of the enneagram to me. Because uh, it can get very fancy, it can get very complicated. The only thing to me is it shows me very clearly how I specifically, how my flesh, not me, but my flesh, specifically tries to undermine the gospel and tell me I have to take control. And so once I understand and believe this is what the gospel's saying, and I don't have to be in control, and this is how my relationship with the Father is secure— now what? Well, now I need to become way more self-aware of when I am using my flesh or getting to the point where I'm enslaved in my flesh uh, to, uh, to subvert okay. the gospel. I'm, like, I'm curious, um, not to make this intro super long, but I'm very curious. 
what you described feels very left brainy to me. Um, and it's, it's a struggle I had, what you described as the struggle I've had in my recovery journey of trying to accept, ultimately accept the true definition of grace as I've tried to accept it, have compassion for myself and live into what you just described. How, how is the weekend? How does the weekend or the six months, if I, if you were doing it normally, how's the structure to bring guys into the right part of their brain through the process. Well, what do you mean by that? Because there's a, I actually was listening to an audio book that was talking about the, uh, the fallacies that come with the idea of right and left brain, because they really work together so much. But I think you're meaning something specific, which is probably true. So define that for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I won't get into, I'm not a brain scientist, but, but what I'm thinking is the reading and studying and memorization of what you described is one thing, mm-hmm. the, the believing and feeling and accepting it is like a okay. whole so, journey, right? So this is where the, the last, well, it's not the, the second to the last part of soul architecture was me stealing cognitive behavioral therapy tools. Yes. And making them gospel tools. So cognitive behavioral therapy is so awesome because it is about, it's all about correcting wrong thinking. And when I mean wrong, that might just mean unhelpful thinking. Um, and, And it is not just a cognitive work. Cognitive behavioral therapy takes this cognitive idea like, this is what I believe about the gospel. This is what I've come to believe in my mind, understand about the Father. This is how I now understand how I, in my flesh, will subvert that. Now I have to do practical, written work to boil down exactly what I'm experiencing, exactly what in my flesh drives me to it, and then to write out what would a perfect father's response be, or I need to write through, here's the areas of unforgiveness, but I haven't really processed the why. Why am I holding on to this? How is it benefiting me? What are the things I don't know that could help me let go of this? So it's just, there are all of these things that we do over and over and over until my automatic response, just like muscle memory, uh, I have a, a muscle memory in my brain, a gospel memory response that I catch my flesh doing something and can say, oh, I see you. You're in the light now. You're not a sneaky bastard like you were. And I also can hear the voice of a perfect father who loves me perfectly because Jesus is enough. And that is is where we land with all the information. I love it. I love it. Well, First of all, thank you for walking me through. It's important work. It's uh, at least it sounds important. It feels familiar to me in my own recovery journey, and I'm guessing guys that are listening might say, "Yeah, I've been trying to figure those pieces out and and believe them as truth and let them sink into the, my heart." And so, yeah, I, I mean, I I would love to see if you do that again. Let's talk. Yeah, well, we we will see. Um... That was a big part of my life, and then I I got the amazing experience to go through such a, a horrible couple of years where I had to re-engage that work from whole other levels and and see, oh, okay, there's, there's still things that 
I have to work out again from a different angle. Um, and that's okay. And it, it, well, it was definitely okay, but <laughs> man, it gets, it gets hard sometimes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, I love it. I do. I am a very, mm, I was once told that an educator can take a simple thought and turn it into a, a semester long class and a communicator takes a semester long class and boils it down into a 45 minute talk. I am definitely more the boil it down kind of guy. Um, I tried to teach an evangelism class once and after about three weeks, uh, we just left every day and went and hung out with homeless people in the town <laughs> next to us. I'm like, I, well, I don't know what else to talk about. Let's just go hang out with people and talk. Uh, it. so I, I think I was not invited back to be a teacher, <laughs> uh, but we had a good time, me and those students. So I, I think. Yeah, we can sometimes, even in our recovery journeys and our counseling, we can get so deep in the weeds that we forget that there are things that we can get through fairly quickly and start to just train our brain, not just talk or not just listen. And this is the problem with Sunday morning services. And I have no problem with, you know, uh, um, amazing things come through the hearing. Faith comes through hearing. Okay, fine. Any even decent sermon lays out a cognitive uh, supposition. This is what you see in the world, but this is God's kingdom. This is what people act like. This is what God looks like. So, my thinking is wrong. I'm not seeing. And then I leave church. I do nothing with that thought. I don't work it. I don't practice it. I don't just chew it and you know meditate on it. And then I come back to church the next week and get a whole new cognitive supposition. Mm -hmm. And I would wonder, why do, do I not see the transformation that should come from these deep and beautiful things? And it's just because I didn't there, – there are far more scriptures about the, the importance of meditation, rumination, like a cow chewing its cud and puking it back up so it can chew the same thing again. The, huge things happen with that. It's a necessary part of our growth and seeing our mind transformed, because otherwise it's just going to be conformed into the thought patterns in the world. Yeah, yeah, that's but, good. But I want to see for myself and certainly for others uh, a transformation of my mind so that I can see what stokes God out. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so, for walking through that. Yeah. Well, let's change topics entirely right after this break here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Hey, let's take just a moment to mention LifeWorks Counseling, our sponsor here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. This is uh, Roan and Eva and Roe Hunter working out of Madison, Mississippi, but serving the entire country. Well, these days, I don't think they're even restricted to the U.S. But whether you are an individual needing help or whether you need help as a couple, these are the folks who really know men's issues, women's issues, Experts in recovery from sexual addiction, extramarital affairs, sexual brokenness of all kinds, porn addiction, false intimacy. They also can provide a therapy for depression and anxiety or for anger issues. And they are equipped to help with spiritual formation and soul care. In fact, uh, Roan and Eva will even work as a couple with a couple. 
If your marriage is at a spot where you really need some people who've been through the wars themselves and come out the other side, there's no better equipped couple to help you than Ronan and Eva Hunter. There's also coaching available. So you can work either with a certified sex addiction therapist, a certified marriage and family counselor, or with a certified coach. And you can do it directly in person or online. Uh, the way to find out more is to go to lifeworks.ms. Lifeworks.ms. That's LifeWorks Counseling. Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. Today, we have a special guest coming in from Greensboro. <laughs> exactly. And, and since we have uh, Rob here, there's a double Greensboro connection. Curvin's Clement, CSAT, uh, sexual addiction and sexual health therapist. Welcome to the show. Yes, it is a pleasure to be here. I'm excited. Um, I watched a lot of, uh, oh, I listened to a lot of videos, <laughs> a lot of the recordings. And so it's been it, it's been good to listen to all the amazing speakers and to see all the amazing things that y'all are doing. So that's awesome. Oh, well, I I am glad that you got a little glimpse into this unfiltered, you can say whatever you want conversation. So <laughs> yeah, it's definitely unfiltered. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, you know, we'll, we'll go wherever you go. Well, I'll try yeah. to. I'll, yeah, I'll yeah, curb yeah. my language until you don't. And nah, then nah, you're good. You're good. Game on. Yeah, be so, you, be you. Yes. So tell me about. I'm I'm always interested when somebody becomes a CSAT. What what was the road that brought you to wanting to engage in other people's stories, their wounds, their traumas, their brokenness, revolving around sexuality and sexual health? What what is what is the story? Yeah, so great, great question. Uh, so I I came to know sex addiction through my own personal story. And um, it started in Gainesville, Florida. And I was in uh, I was in a sexual health class. And this is this is probably my freshman year. Yeah, that's usually freshman, freshman usually sophomore year. They try to uh, catch you early and scare you about STDs about that age. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so I'm in there. And then uh, for some odd reason, my professor is talking about sex addiction. And so literally I'm sitting in a seat. And I'll never forget this day. I'm sitting in a seat and I'm literally seeing my life flash in front of me. Like mm. they're talking about um, the compulsiveness and and, and all the things that are happening. And I'm like, that's me, that's me, that's me, that's me. And so after class, um, I literally go home and I I grieve this discovery, right? Like for, I think for the first time, like I'm looking at this board, I'm looking at, okay, like this is what I've been struggling my whole life with. Mm. And, and, and just kind of played out there like, at that time, I'm in Gainesville, Florida. I'm in college, right? And so I'm literally looking at this board. I'm like, my whole life, I've been struggling with this in silence, and sex addiction has been the issue. And so after I became aware of that, life just became 
just changed, right? Because it's like, you know, when you are able to identify, and this will kind of lead into like, for me, uh, my career in sex addiction and helping people with uh, sexual wellness, is that I think when you're able to identify what you are struggling with and you can put a name to it, then you can fight like hell. Yes. And until then, you're just blindly, you're just blindly aiming and trying to fight in this darkness by yourself. But for me, it was it was a beautiful picture. It was a beautiful light opening in my life where I was just like, okay, so sex addiction is my issue. I cope with sex. Um, I cope with women. And it became clear because like as I'm seeing this, I'm like, that's the reason why whenever my wife now, um, girlfriend at the time, pisses me off, I end up going to the clubs. I end up finding some, you know, some woman and um, and I end up having sex with her. And then I, I get upset and then I start watching porn and all these different things and all these things were happening in my life. But it were it was happening in silence and, mm-hmm. and, and in darkness and by myself. And I was wrestling with this. And, and after I became clear on like what it actually was, it was like, OK, game on. Let's find the resources and. Um, let's connect with people and let's get it out. Cause you know, as I was listening, as I was learning more about sex addiction, it's like get it out of your body, right? And 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 put name to it. And like so I got into community and I started confessing some of my sins to some of my brothers. And you know, how long ago that was? That was in 2014 and 2013, living in freedom. And then I also have a perspective of freedom because uh, I'll, I'll save down maybe for later in our conversation. Because I think a lot of time when people say freedom, it's the absence of triggers and temptation. Yes. And for me, that's not it, right? Because there's moments where, you know, um, I'm, I'm living in life and something happens and that urge, that right. urge comes back, right? Like, oh, like, you're upset right now. You should go watch porn, right? Um, and it's like, ah, uh, nah. Like, that's not my name, right? My name is yeah. Travis Clement, and I'm not bind to that. And for me, it's like, you've been a resource, right? And you've helped me get through a lot of my childhood trauma. And now I choose not to need you now, right? Like, I have other resources. I have my best friend, Nate, where I can call and kind of confess, like, what I'm struggling with, like, feeling rejected by my wife or or. Um, not feeling adequate, and I don't need to re re. Um, I don't need to use that to get to where I need to be, which is take a breath, right? But, but what you're saying oh. is is so important, and maybe I'm hearing a little of your your Gottman uh, exposure in there. But, <laughs> but there's there's a, there's a lot of grace in what you just said that to be able to to love the boy yes, that absolutely. went to those places to self-soothe yes. to just, this is where sin focus without insight into ourselves becomes problematic yeah, because, because I can't say, yeah, that, that was helpful for me in those times of yeah. loneliness and those mm-hmm. times of isolation or feelings of rejection. Mm-hmm. But then I love that you say, and but I got other resources now, and I choose. Oh, what a power statement that is. But I choose. Yes, yes, yes. And, and it's like, because I think a lot of people, one of the downfalls, and, and I'll kind of go back to the sex addiction for me and why I do a lot of presentations about it, is that 
it, it was a resource during your childhood. And it was it was a resource when you were going through a lot. And so, of course, you developed this relationship, this dependency on it. And so as you move through life, that's all you know. And a part of my opportunity that I get with working with clients who struggle with sex addiction is that I help them uncover other other ways to deal with their emotions and and to practice self-compassion to that little kid that, hey, like you don't need that anymore. Like there are other ways that you can find love. Like, yes, that has been a resource and you get to move on to other areas. Right. And so I, I think a lot of people, when they hear the word freedom, they think that, oh, so he must never you know, be triggered anymore, or he may never think about porn. It's like, nah, like, um, let me, ca- you know, let, let me and my wife be in a really hard spot. That, 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 that urge is there. It's just a matter of like, Hey, like, I don't need that. Right. And, and I know that it's not a resource anymore. It's a survival tool that I don't need to depend on. And so I don't depend on it. And mm-hmm. so I go work out. Um, I listen to worship music, you know, I, I do my devotional, my Bible is literally right next to me. And so I have all of these different things now that gives me access to the love and the compassion that I need where, and, you know, throughout my childhood, porn and all that was right as, as the youngest of six, um, you know, I'll, I'll bring my family into this, you know, my parents migrating from the, um, from Haiti to America and as you know and we went back to we went back to Haiti and I came back in the third grade and um and 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 as a youngest I never felt loved right and so I was I was the black sheep in my family you know like I got in trouble with the law I was constantly fighting I was constantly um you know stealing there was a lot of entitlement where you know I would go into communities and say what well, you know they got money I don't have money so I can steal their bike or I can steal whatever I find. Right. And so it's just like, that was my way of like, you know, trying to get attention. And, and I remember, and I'll never forget is I remember one day and, you know, in my brother's bed, I was scrolling and I found HBO and, and, and it was a sex scene and it was like, and I, and I remember that was the first time I masturbated and it was like, Oh, this feels good. And every time, you know, like late at night, that's what I would use because it was like, that is, that is where I felt seen, you know, and throughout my life now it's like, oh, like, that's not like, I, it's okay. Like, I know who I, I know who I am. So when, when you talk about sex addiction, it's a lot about un, un, like uncovering it. I think what I, I like to say, when you talk about sex addiction, a lot of people get lost in the focus, get lost in the idea of like um, uh, decreasing the behaviors. And it's like, no, sex addiction and sex uh, sex therapy is like helping the person deepen their understanding of who they are. Mm-hmm. And through that, you start to heal. And what happens is that you start to not need it. And you start to have other options and that, and that synapse starts to pull away and you get to say, Hey, I, I can go down this road and I know where it's, I know where I'm going to go. Yeah. And so I'm going to, I'm going to show up to my wife and I'm going to say, Hey babe, um, you know, last night during our argument, I felt so rejected and it made, it made me, it, it brought up a lot of that trauma that, you know, that mm-hmm. you know about. And, 
Um, and I just want to confess that to you. And then she gets to speak into that and we get to move on and not, yeah. and I'd get to not live in that, in that trauma response where I'm like, you know what I'm saying? And, and I'm like, yeah, okay. but, but what I'm hearing even in that is you talked about being the youngest child and, and said you were trying to be seen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. this, this was the, the foundation of making choices that were not ultimately healthy for you, but you were trying yeah. to be seen, which goes back to the opposite of addiction is connection. You just yeah. want to be seen. And that what you found in a healthy relationship is you articulate to the person you most want to be seen by your wife. You articulate the hurts, you articulate the, the emotions in the moment, and you make yourself vulnerable and trust her to not hurt you in vulnerability yeah, 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 yeah. But, but to see you, yeah, one hundred percent. Because, 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 you know, when when we resort to that, instead of talking to my wife a lot, uh, well, at the time my girlfriend, what I would do is I would go rage out. That's what I was doing. Yes, right. And 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 then and then you know I would be you know an asshole about it, you know, to her. But, it, but I was dealing with my emotions. Yes. And a part of recovery is like learning how to regulate, right? Learning how to, you know, you know, de- you know, drop down what is happening to me. And then from there, being able to give voice to it and then process it, right? And so um, I'm big on like, you know, community and, 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 and really speaking out where you're at. And from there processing it right and not being in you know not being um not being in isolation that's like one of my big things it's like uh uh-uh. uh like it, good or bad you're gonna know where i'm at yeah like uh like like secrets is not a place for me um because i know where that goes right yeah. and so um if i'm struggling or um if i uh, if I need support or I feel overwhelmed or whatever it may be, it's like my 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 community knows, right? Because I, I just I just know I just really know what my unhealthy version of myself looks like, mm-hmm. right? And and the more you get to know that person, the more you get to notice the little patterns that start creeping up where you know I stop talking or um I, you know I'm very uh, uh, reactive or very short in different ways. And so, so yeah. So, so tell me, uh, I'm, I'm hearing some consistency as I get to know you sitting here yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. and, and I feel you, one of my biggest triggers to self-soothe some kind of giant machinery out there. I shut my window. I hope you guys can hear it. Um, <laughs> One of my biggest triggers to want to self-soothe is anger, especially when something feels unfair, unjust towards me. And I feel angry, and then I'm going to withdraw. I'm going to go isolate, and that's going to be my my biggest danger zone. And I'm curious, and, and in the end, it's it's really not anger. Mm-hmm. It's it's the mm-hmm. fear that if I make myself vulnerable, if I step in, if I'm honest, I'm just going to get rejected. And rejection was such a big thing to me uh, from early age into marriage that 
that that's the thing I want to push people away before they can reject. Do you find that that is one of the most common emotions that sends people down this path of self-soothing is is anger starts with anger, even though that might not be the thing underneath. Yeah. What? Yeah. It, it, it's all that, right. It's anger, feeling rejection. It's, um, uh, feeling stress. Uh, it, it's, it's all of the emotions that a lot of people use different things to not deal with. Right. Uh, and so, um, and so a lot of people, uh, sometimes think that sometimes people can feel happy and want to celebrate through mm-hmm. acting out, right? And so, it, and so, it, it's not a lot. Think a lot of time when people think sex addiction, it's like it's only it only happens when something bad is happening. And sometimes it's you know because the way I look at it, I like to externalize uh, that addictive part, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that part of me has been there through good and bad, right? And so it's not only during the bad times that I, I will use it, right? It, it will be times where I'm like, man, like I did that, you know, I, you know, I did it, and I did a great job on this podcast. And then it's like, let's go celebrate, you know? And a lot of people don't realize that, no, like a, that has been your best friend your whole life. And so now it's celebrating me, but also talking to friends about it, like, hey, you know, I got this opportunity to be on this podcast and it feels hella great. Like, it feels great to be, you know, to 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 tell my story and to da 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 da. And so, you know, kind of speaking to what you're saying, um, yes, it, it is sometimes those hard emotions of feeling rejected or feeling alone uh, or feeling disappointed. And sometimes it is um, in those happy moments. And a lot of times, my clients, when sometimes they get into that happy moment, they're like, "Why the hell did I feel the need to go use?" And it's just like, no, like your whole life. That's what you do. That's what you use and good and bad. It's not always when you feel negative. And so it's about noticing, OK, I don't I don't I don't need you to celebrate. Like I can go celebrate with Nathan. I can go celebrate mm-hmm. with Ashley. I can go celebrate with, you know, all my other friends. It's like, no, nah, I don't need that. Like. Let me go celebrate yeah, Nathan. well, well, tell me, uh, I, I have only uh, had two Haitian friends and it was in a town that had about 2% black population. So uh, mm-hmm. there were not like other Haitian folks around in California where those, those two dudes were. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah, yeah. So when you are talking about your, your parents immigrating to America, so many immigrants find a community of like people. So mm-hmm. did you grow mm-hmm. up even in Florida in a, in a kind of Haitian community? Or yeah, yeah. Tell, yeah tell, tell me about that. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, so my parents, you know, came from Haiti. They were in Miami for a little while, and then my parents moved. They left their 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 family in Miami and moved to Immokalee. Immokalee is a small little town filled with immigrants, right? Hispanics. So I have my Hispanic families there. Um, you also have a big population of Haitians, um, and also a good population of African Americans, and so. Um, and so I went to a public school and, um, you know, for a long time, I carried a lot of pain f- towards my parents. And the reason why was as immigrants, they had to work in the fields. And so my parents were like up four o'clock, five o'clock in the morning. You know, they would have to go catch a bus to go to the field and they won't come home probably until like eight or nine. 
Mm. Right. And so, and so that, that was what my problem was. My problem was, you know, when I got home, I had nothing to do but to devour, right? right? To do, to, to get in trouble, right? And so um, it wasn't until, you know, my sophomore year where I was about to get kicked out of school because I was either fighting or stealing something or, um, or getting in trouble or, or um, you know, being a deviant in class that my brother was like, um, we're going to get you into football. And, a, and one thing that also saved my life was football because I wouldn't have made it through high school if it wasn't um, for that. And so my parents actually didn't want me to play football. Um, and it wasn't until like my senior year where I actually started to get recognition for football that um, my mom finally found out that I was <laughs> I was playing football. And she so didn't, she, oh, she like, didn't even know? No, my, my, my older brother forged her signature. <laughs> <laughs> but it saved my life, right? Because, you know, for a long time, um, you know, I felt like what a community was. And, and uh, another part, another testimony in my story is young life. And so what, what ended up happening is that um, even though I'm struggling with this and hiding, you know, God is moving in my story where, you know, I, be, I get into this football team and, um, and you know, having parents who, who immigrate to the United States don't have no money, right? Don't have, don't have a college fund for me, right? And so honestly, the only way I'm getting out of this small town is either through the prison or through a football scholarship, right? And so, um, and so through my experience, um, uh, I, I will share this with you. My one, one, the, my life shifted in one moment, in the same way that when I was looking at the professor and she was telling me what sex addiction was, and I'm like, that is that's my story. Was when I came, there was one day when I came home from football practice. This is this is like. Like in my story, there was no water, um, there was no electricity, and there was no food. And so I came from football practice, and if you played any sports, you stayed. And so um, I came home, there was nothing, and this is me as a young kid, right? And so my brother, who's right next to me, Evans, he had Kavan down the street that he would go down the street with. And so I came home, there was nothing, and I walk into the bedroom, and I laid, and then I just cried and cried and cried that day. And uh, the, the young version of me, you know, uh, um, and I don't know what I was thinking, but in the moment I was like, my kids will never experience this. Wow. Mm. They will never experience this. And so from that day forward, I, I shaped up in school. I took football to a whole nother level, right? From after practice, practicing by myself. Like I was scared of tackling that when I, when I would get home, I would literally put on my helmet, my pads. And I'm, you know, you can talk to all my friends in our, in our neighborhood. They would see me tackling the garbage can. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, I, I would tackle the garbage can just to get the um, the discomfort of hitting out of my body. Yeah. And and you know, and I and I did that, and um, I had a, a sweet lady, Miss um, Reyes, and um, who came into my life during this period of time as well, where I got invited to a young life and. Um, and, and, and another shift that happened during this season of my life was um, I got introduced to Jesus Christ. And, I, you know, um, I'm sitting in this young life, you know, uh, 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 Monday night and, uh, and, and we and I go in and and uh, uh, the song was I will follow. Right. And, and I'm literally in the back seat and, and all the way in the back. 
all on the back because you know everybody's in there. There's people that uh, that that bullied me during that period of time that I was in there, and, and I'm literally in the back of the of the building, the little church that we're at, right by the middle school. And um, you know, where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I, like it, it, it literally opened me in ways that I never. And then you know, all of the things you know, like. It, I was able to take a, a deep breath of fresh air during that song by Tim, uh, um, Tim uh, Chris Tomlin. And, um, and, and so that, that, so that was my journey. And so my life started shifting and, and, you know, that's the thing about sex addiction is that, you know, and, and people who struggle with it is that like, you know, you have these moments, but you don't really attack your issue. And so my life started shifting where I didn't need to, um, I, I stopped stealing, right? I stopped stealing. I stopped fighting people. I stopped doing all those different things. And so my life was starting to move towards a positive direction, but I still had this demon in my closet that I was fighting with, yeah. at, um, you know, at night, right? And so, it, it, it you know, it, but that, all those shifts were great, right? But it was, I was dealing with the root, the root of my issue, like the rejection and all those different things. It's like, okay, like, so not that not okay. So God loves me, but like He won't love him because mm-hmm. of what I'm struggling with, right? And so, and so, but all this, so all of this is happening. All of this is great, and and my life is changing. But what's happening though is that you know, and that's why I'm like I'm big on sexual wellness. Is that I have nobody to talk about this with, mm. right? Like I like I didn't know that my dad, you know was a thought in the streets and having sex and he had sex with multiple women like i i didn't i didn't know that you know what i'm saying but it's until like that i started doing my work in college that and then um and unfortunately my mom had passed and 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 my cousin became came into my life from my dad's side and they started telling me more about my dad and all the men in my family so if you're you know you know whoever's listening to this if you are if you're really trying to deepen your understanding and 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 really wanting to establish a really strong recovery, a part of your a part of that journey is like really focusing in on like who, where do I come from? Where do the, where's the generations that come before me? Because a part of my healing, you know, after I discovered about sex addiction, that I realized that a lot of men, a lot of men in my family struggle with sex addiction. And that's another big passion of mine, uh, you know, especially for me. It's just like there's a lot of Haitians right now. And I talk to my, a lot of my best friends and, and they're like, there's a lot of people in our Haitian community that struggle with sex addiction. They have no idea what it is mm-hmm. and how to contextualize it and really fight it strategically. Right. Yeah. And so. Um, so, yeah, a lot of men that in my family were struggling with this. And then I'm, I'm discovering this. He slept with this one. He slept with this one. He's doing this. One. I'm like, no wonder I'm cheating on my girlfriend. Right. Like this, this ain't nothing new. Like it's, I'm just carrying on a generational curse. And now it's like, oh, okay. So, okay. So this, uh, this, this is another reason why I'm fighting. Yeah. Right. And that's why I swore to my wife and I, and I, and I swore to myself, my kids will know everything. Mm-hmm. They will never know. They will, they will never not know. Like I will tell them all of my struggles. I will tell them what happened. 
um, you know, what I started doing, how I started doing it, because I think a lot of times parents that I that I work with also like they're afraid that if they tell their kids what their story, that they will indirectly take on their story. And it's like, no, like you sharing their your story with them actually gives them a heads up. Like, hey, this may be this may be a fight that I have to that I have to dodge. Right. But if you hide your story from your kid, then they don't have a chance because they're going to get punched in the face and they're going to realize like, and they're going they're gonna to be like, where the hell did that come from? And it, yeah. But the thing is that if you get, if you share your story, if my dad, love my dad, if my dad told me that this was things that he struggled with, you know, with being faithful and all those different things, I would have been able to prepare myself, be like, oh, okay, dad, I'm struggling with this. Yeah. Right. But yeah. a part of our Haitian culture is that we don't talk about that. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, on the same idea of culture, I'm curious, um, so much of what you've described, I can relate to. Um, and the guys that I've had a chance to interact with through my own journey of recovery. This is coming, this question is coming from a place of curiosity and, and maybe just not knowing, maybe ignorance, but what is, is there a difference in the struggle or the healing journey relative to being an African-American, you know, and Haitian, Haitian American, but yeah, yeah, a, yeah. a person of color. We, we've got, you know, we've got people of color all over Samson society. And I, I would love to hear your perspective on where it's different. Yeah. So uh, this is my dissertation. <laughs> um, I, so my mind is like, oh, yay, all of these different thoughts. So uh, a part of my story is that I have ADHD and also dyslexia. And mm-hmm. um, and it, it's a great thing in some days, and there's and it's not so much great things in some days. And so um, so I'll just put it that way. And so when you ask that question, a lot comes up for me because I think um, it makes me go back into the literature and talk about how Black men were sexualized in different ways and how and 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 in our culture and different different forms of different platforms, um, you know, the, the encouragement is to, especially as a man, right? Because you 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 know, there's the there's the blackness, but then there's also the man aspect of it, and it's like, hey, um, you know, this is what's encouraged, right? Go sleep with as much women as you want, you know. I I remember, you know, as a young kid. That was the encouragement, right? Um, you know, like unless you set with so many people. So that that was the the underlying narrative is this is my initiation into manhood is by sexual conquest. Yes, exactly. And so all of that, um, I think integrated with um you're not welcomed, right? And and you know, <clears throat> as a as a black man. Yeah. Um, you, you're, you could only show up at my comfort level. Right. <clears throat> and it's like, so I had to, so I learned how to conform, right? I learned how to be who you want me to be. And yeah. that was one of my stories. It's like, I, I have to, you know, I have to play this game. Right. So and, well, to unpack that a little bit for me, cause I'm not sure that I totally understand what you mean. That you, they can't come at your level. Who is the they? People within your community or people? 
Yeah, um, people on the opposite, right? So okay. I'm talking about you know being a being around white people. It's like I have to then conform to their yes. conference. Yeah, right. Like as as a their ideal, right? Yeah. So you know. So what did that mean? For how to perceive me, all that type of stuff. What What did that mean practically? Like what What was it that you either felt they would feel uncomfortable with, or they actually did feel uncomfortable with? Yeah. So it is. I'm a threat. Right. And so and so then um, to to the point where, you know, like there are people that go into counseling that wear whatever they want. Right. I I, I, I can't do that. Right. Because. The the way. For me, in my experience, I'm already judged as a black man. And so I have to be very intentional with being professional. You see what I'm saying? And so as a young kid, you know, you know, walking into stores and being watched, right? It does to you. It does stuff to you mentally. Right? Like it, it, I remember as a as a young, you know, as a young uh college student who gets a refund for the first time and takes his uh, girlfriend to a five-star restaurant. And when you literally, you know, I walk up and 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 I say, "Hey, you know, my name's Kevin." And the 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 lady, the lady white woman, looking at you like, uh, "Are you sure this is this is this is where you made a reservation?" Literally, this is what the lady said. "Are you sure this is where you made your reservation?" Yes, Kevin's coming. Can you look at your thing, right? And she's like, "Oh, that's your name." And and then you walk into a you walk into a restaurant and literally. Everybody stops looking and looks at you. Mm. You know, it's, it's just like, um, hello. Yeah, like I'm talking about, like, like spoon in hand, watching me go by them, right? And so it's just like you, 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 you live this throughout your whole life that you start to like kind of feel uncomfortable in your own skin, and so and so I say all of that to say, you know, whenever. Uh, you know, kind of connecting it to sex addiction, you start to integrate this, right? Of this discomfort and um, worry that if I say something, you'll judge me. And and so I also learned how to, you know, play the game of like showing up in the, in the way that you want me to show up. So I learned how to manipulate and do all that type of stuff um, just so, uh, you know, I don't um, get in trouble. Like, so... You know, when you watch movies, sometimes a lot of people don't realize how truthful it is because Immokalee was the poor kids, right? The kids that didn't have any resources. And Naples was where all the rich kids go, right? And so you went to their high school, you went to their school and you saw the BMWs, you saw like the, the nice cars and all that type of stuff. And, and you know, that's where I would go, you know, to go stay or to go do whatever. And so... Um, and so when I got into you know high school, like football became now we that's our revenge, right? Mm-hmm. You always look down on us. And so on the football field, it was like one of the biggest games in the area, and also in the state of like Immokalee versus Naples. And so, um, so all of that internalization that I that I dealt with in regards to being a black man, and 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 then and then um, when when you talk about this idea of adding to that being an immigrant, right? Yes. Um, Cause I don't identify 
um, as an African-American, I'm Haitian. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And so, um, and at the end of the day, like I have to maneuver in a certain way, you know, um, even, even now, right? Like this is, this is who I am. Very excited, very welcoming. And, you know, during my, you know, during my PhD program, you know, I had a white woman say, I don't know how to interact with curvins. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> oh, you know yeah. what I'm saying? I'm, I'm a very friendly person. You know, I, you know, Hey, I need this or whatever. And, you know, you know, you know, we're in our clinic and stuff like that. And and this is what this white woman says is that I don't know how to um, interact with curvins. I'm just like, is it, is it say, is it say, can I re- try to repeat back what I heard? The cultural pressure of an immigrant combined with the color of your skin being a black man and everything, the, all the pressure that that you face essentially from day one um, living in America, that underlying, I don't know, you didn't use the word pressure, so I'm going to make up my own word here, but that underlying tension of mm-hmm. life, of fitting in, of standing out, of being looked at, of 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 people assuming, fitting in roles, everything that comes with that. Is that a different layer of pressure that feeds it could feed into addiction that yeah. somebody like myself, a person of a privilege, uh, you know, of my whiteness doesn't carry into addiction? Is am I am I hearing that right or am I adding to what you're saying inappropriately? No, um, I think you're definitely on point in that it, it, it is a pressure, right? And when you think about um, sex addiction, it's an escape route, yes. right? And the same way that somebody would, you know, they're dealing with a lot of tensions, they they resort to alcohol, it's the same thing. And so I think that that was a good mixture of all of the other things that I was dealing with, right? Because I wasn't being seen in my family in the way that I wanted and when I left outside, I was already being projected as this person, as this, um, as a Steve or as this, you know, although, yes, I was still in that time, but like I was already perceived in this way already yeah. that it was, it was a double bind, okay. right? Not, yeah. not being able to win. And so in that, I just, I just resorted to then using porn, right? Yeah. Because it's like, that's that so, will never judge me. Yeah. And that will always be the, yeah. the sense of like connection. And so, yes, I think, you know, when you are able to, when you don't have to navigate that tension of like trying to change somebody's perspective of you. Yes. It, it's a lot more, um, I, I don't want to use the word easier. It, it, it's just different, right? It's a different I, struggle point, right? Yeah, it's a different struggle point where it's like, I don't have to then convince you, but if you're already per- being perceived as this person, now I have to navigate yeah. trying to be be me yeah. yeah, in a way where you can then see me for who I am and not just see my outward appearance. Yeah. Right, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, that, yeah. that's a that's a that's a just devastating thought, uh, especially in terms of trying to make connections and come out of addiction. Exactly, because I'm just picturing like, uh, okay, I feel the pressure to make a version of myself that's that can be heard and seen while at the same time you are clearly not being seen because you're making up a, you're putting on a, a mask so that you can do authentic recovery work. And right. it just doesn't work. Right. And so, 
And so I would say to that, that is the reason why I personally felt like, you know, if I would have, you know, if I knew earlier, I don't think there would have been an opportunity because of all that was going on. And so it wasn't until when I was at a lot of church in, in, in Gainesville, Florida, where, you know, a lot of my uh, uh, my brothers in the fight were a lot of black men. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to kind of, I was able to kind of uh, share in a way where it, it didn't have to be filtered, right? Where, um, where, where we we did share similar experiences, where we were navigating very similar things, and that's one of the reasons why I'm passionate about after I graduate of starting, you know, process groups, um, particularly for Black men that are really struggling with this particular issue, because what's happening is that they're going into these different recovery centers. And um, they're not fully seen, yeah. right? And all, all, all parts of them are not being integrated into their treatment, right? It's like, for example, I was working with a black man um, who struggles with sex addiction, and during the George Floyd, his, his his acting out got reckless, right? And so, someone would like someone who doesn't have the cultural responsiveness. Would be like okay, like we need to do regulation work and do that, da 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 da, and it's just like no. He just witnessed somebody that looked like him get killed, right? The, the, that's the focus is not recovery. The focus is like giving him space to kind of mourn what that is like, mm-hmm. and not focus on, you know, uh, what's your recovery plan. And all that type of no, it's like you're talking about the wrong issue. And so with this black man, what our conversation was, was, you know, uh, talking about that, what happened. And, and literally, um, not only was that happening, he also came in because his um, mom was, there was an attempted assassination on his mom by a white man. Hmm. Literally hit his mom. Wow. On the side of the road, and it, and it was not an accident. It was literally and, and had the Confederate flag on the truck and everything. It was it was crazy. And so so not only did he have this, but also he just witnessed a, a black man get killed on TV. You know, it it it, it set him spiraling. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of our conversation was really like talking about like the tension of being a black man and hating. You know, white America and, and, the, and how it's built on oppression and all of the things and, and a whole bunch of dead bodies with indigenous people and black people and all those different things. And, and like really grieving that and, and dealing with that tension that was in his body rather than, you know, talking about anything about recovery. It's about giving voice. And so, so, so that was, so that's what I mean by when I say that you know, integrating all of them. And, and a part of that is like really acknowledging the yeah. system. Like that. But that, and that story of that guy is, is so helpful because there are so many cultures around us that are not like what we grew up in. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we can't walk well together. None of us, unless yes. we, try to understand what does this feel like from a different cultural perspective. And I, I even feel bad uh, when you, when you talked earlier about how you are seen as a threat 
And I, I immediately went back to, I mean, I was young, so I'll be gracious with myself here. I was probably 18. I was living with a black man who was 28 and a black man who was 32. And the 28-year-old had served some time in the military. Is that, do you say serve time? Or is that just jail? He served in the military for a period of time. Yeah. And, <laughs> and he uh, had lived in the county I grew up in. And I had another roommate who was Filipino, and we were talking about moving back to my hometown. And he said, oh, don't go there. That's a really racist area. And I was offended. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's not racist. I grew up there my whole life. And he talked about how people would look at him. Now, I was living in the inner city where there were not, uh, there were very few, well, I never saw any white people that lived in the place I lived. And I knew what it was like to go in a grocery store and have people clearly stare at me. People at the checkout counter would talk to me different than they talked to the person before me. So I thought I understood what he was saying. And I said, but I don't, I don't think it's racist. I don't think anyone's being like, they don't hate me. They just think I'm out of place. I'm different. There's not people like me here. But when you said you got the feeling from people that you were seen as a threat, that is the difference between my story and his. Yeah, I knew what it was like to have people look at me, but I never felt like they saw me as a threat. Mm. Occasionally, they might think, what are you doing here? This is our neighborhood. And it felt uncomfortable, but it wasn't the same thing. And at that age, I clearly was not good at listening to him to understand his experience. Like, mm -hmm. I bypassed that entirely. And yeah. so, when you told that story of, of that guy, for people that, you know, just watched the 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 police shootings and things on the news and then kind of pick a side and come up with talking points none of those matter because we're talking about the experience of this man who went right. through it in a certain way for certain reasons and my only obligation is to shut up and hear the story and think wow okay i've never had those feelings when right. i saw these shootings on the news it did not create those feelings in me let me understand you. Yes. And, and then and I'm, I'm and ho that, hoping that gets reciprocated too. Yes. That, yes. Okay, what were you going to say? And, and I, I love the word that you that you say, that you said, um, which is understand, right? A lot of people, and this is like the uh, uh, attention of mine, because um, I do a lot of presentation on culturally responsive treatment, right? And so, uh, a lot of people say, you know, I will never understand your experience. There's a diff. You will never experience what I go through. Mm -hmm. And you can understand. And the way you understand is by being curious about my story. Mm. And what happens is that a lot of people are uncomfortable to have that conversation, right? A lot of counselors are uncomfortable to be curious, right? And so even as a counselor, as a black man, when I'm doing clinical work, I broach with black men because my experience as a black man could be very different mm -hmm. in their experience as a black man, right? Because for me, I grew up in poverty. For another black man, they could have been, they could have been, you know, raised in 
um, you know, wealth, right? And so that shifts, that impacts your experience. And so I broach with black men, I broach with black women, I broach with my Hispanic brothers, I broach with my Hispanic sisters. Like I broach, I broach with everyone that comes into my counseling space because broaching is grounded simply on being curious about the experiences of the other person that's sitting in front of you, because it will contextualize what they're wanting to talk about. Because what happens is that you start processing their addiction and don't contextualize it to their cultural dynamic. You don't take into account all of the important things that may need to take in, that may need to be taken into account. And so in exploring their story, you can see, oh, you know, the the aspect of me that came from Haiti. You can see the the implication of um, being an immigrant. Right. Because not only as a black man, but I'm also Haitian that is trying to understand the English language and, and navigating that system as well. And so. Now you're able to see all of the systems that I would have to navigate rather than just see me as a black man. Because if you just see me in my blackness, you're missing so much other information. Yes. Yeah. And yes. so that's why I love about what you're saying is that like, uh, you know, be curious, be mm-hmm. curious to understand. And, you know, this, the counselor that may be listening to this, be curious in regards to um, their story whoever's sitting in front of you and their story will help you and, 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 and acknowledge, you know, uh, you know, I'm working with a black woman. I broach about, you know, her talking about her sexual trauma that came at the hands of a black man. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? And really talking about that. What is that like for you as you're talking about this trauma and some of my things that I carry are connected to that. And, and that was a very healing conversation for her because, you know, my presentation that I do about culturally responsive treatment, um, you know, one thing that she, the, uh, uh, part of the, the conversation that she said was, um, I'm not grateful for what happened to me. I'm grateful that I'm able to witness another side to the black man. Mm-hmm. Right. Now I'm able like through this process, through this journey that we are going through, I'm able to I'm able to have a relationship with a black man and then not be a reflection of my trauma. Yeah. And so there was a deep mourning for her in that space as we were doing our counseling session because she felt it in her body, but she didn't know what it was. Yeah. And after I acknowledged that some of my identities and, and we kind of dealt with that, it, it gave her space to like let it out. Right. Let all of that pain, let, let, let all of that out. And the part of that was like that, that, that gratefulness of like that other side of it. Right. And, and, and now she is able to see black men in a different perspective than just simply as a threat to her. So I'm not talking about, you know, the, the white counselor and, 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 and the, 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 the black man that you're working with. I'm talking, it's, it's all of us. Right. Because, yeah. I think sometimes we want to, it's crazy as counselors, we want to box things in and it's just like, no, it's a spectrum. Yeah. Well, and, and as, as humans, I mean, I, I certainly know, uh, with, with some of my black friends, they would make 
jokes about white people that were like, yeah, we're putting you in this box too. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I, I came from this small rural town. This is, this is not, that's not who I am. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. But I think there's a fear, especially in today's cultural climate, Mm-hmm. that even if I am curious, I'm going to say something wrong and offend a person or I'm going to get in trouble, I'm going to get canceled. And I think Rob did a great job of how to navigate that fear when he said to you, I want to re-say what you said and you tell me if that was right or if I'm missing something. Yes. Like, and then that yes. becomes safe for both people to explore yes. a thing. Yes, that that was a great modeling. Were you about to say something, Rob? No, 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 thank you. You guys were complimenting me. Keep going, please. <laughs> so I, 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 uh, I wanted to off, I wanted to make the connection to where we're at right now, to where you started, um, Kerbins, and that's you talked about the gift of recovery, of giving yourself grace, being truthful, grieving, but then you also talked a lot about curiosity. And I, my hope for everyone listening today is. As wherever you come from, whatever your background is, whatever your color is, as we gain the capacity to be curious about our story, that that curiosity carries over into other people's stories, regardless of who they are, what they look like and where they came from. And I, I think sometimes I've experienced the curiosity in the recovery journey, just being limited to my two square feet. And what I'm, I'm hoping people take away from this conversation, and it's it's been very it's been beautiful to be part of of this part of your story, even for the last hour. What I'm hoping people take away from is there's more curiosity that we can we can take out of our recovery journey into other people's lives. Yes, that's beautiful. That's a good well, message. Curvins, thank you for hanging out with us. How do people get to know you more, connect with you if they have a question? How do they how do they get a hold of you or learn about what you're doing? Yeah, so um, unfortunately, I've been talking to my wife about it. I don't have a website yet, um, but you can reach me. Uh, you can Google Louisville Family Counseling if you're in the Greensboro, uh, North Carolina area, uh, and you'll find... Um, me there and you can reach out if um if you want to talk or be um an exploration of sex addiction or or anything about sexual wellness um uh i'm also uh i'm I'm really not on facebook but i do have a facebook i don't have any social medias Uh, that's one of my recovery things it's like i i try to control uh the um what i see and what i allow to my space and so i only have facebook um, uh, but I'm really not on there like that. And so, uh, I would say, um, you can also email me at, uh, Kervins Clement, K-E-R-V-I-N-S-C-L-E-M-E-N-T at yahoo.com. If you want to reach me out there, um, Oh, come that, on. No social media and still a Yahoo account. I love it. <laughs> you're, you're my brother. <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> You, you have just shown yourself to be a trustworthy man. <laughs> hey, shout out to Yahoo. <laughs> <laughs> well, and listeners, you know that you can get a hold of us and ask your questions or give your comments at piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. We are going to wrap this up. Uh, Rob, are you still there? Your video froze. Yeah, that, that's, a, okay. that's a beautiful picture. We took a picture. 
piece out of that. I know. It's great. That's just pure joy. Well, okay, he's offline. But I'll I'll just say that uh thanks for listening and hanging out with us, listeners. I am Aaron. Rob's back. You have to say I'm Rob. <laughs> I don't think you can hear you. Okay, Curvins, then you say you're Curvins. That's all you gotta do. I'm Curvins. <laughs> Go ahead, Rob. You seem to be back. I don't want you to miss out on this. This is the worst ending ever in our smooth way we always end. But thank goodness. I love when things don't go right. Hey, that's perfect. Oh, fine. I still don't know if you're there. But we're your pals regardless. And Rob's your pal, too, as he tries to get back online here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. The Pirate Monk Podcast is produced by members of the Samson Society. Send your feedback or questions to piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes and share the podcast with a friend. For more information, please visit samsonsociety.com. <laughs>